today about my conversation, and it's going to be an interesting one because it's going to go into the psychology of marketing and creativity when it comes to marketing. And I have an expert marketing guest on today that we're going to talk to about it. He's from Texino Marketing, and uh, we're going to just kind of dig into a little bit about how he views marketing, why he views it this way what his experience is like uh, in marketing and how it has shaped many bigger and smaller companies alike and the nature of the marketing space. But before we go into the podcast, uh, to the show today, just want to remind you of a couple of things, a few housekeeping notes that uh, we have business resources up on our uh, Common Sense uh, podcast website. So if you go to thecommonsensepodcast.com forward slash resources, you're going to see Micah's library on there. You're going to see business resources to help you to manage your business, your small business, and to help it continue to grow and scale. Things that you can use to um, not just uh, use for like signage and collateral and things like that, but also the ability to, to, to get your website started and, and some other awesome tools as well. So take a look at the business resources page and uh, also make sure you buy some of those books that I, I suggest so that you can kind of you can try to get your level up your knowledge as well as your experience. But before we get into the show, I'm Michael Logan. This is the Common Sense Show. You're listening to the Common Sense Show. If you've just started a new business or if you're just thinking about it, this podcast is for you. Michael Logan has a stellar track record coaching small businesses to achieve six-figure revenue streams. The advice on this show is what has allowed him to have over 15 years of experience as an entrepreneur. Here is your host, Michael Logan. Welcome to the Common Sense Show, and I'm excited for my guest today. He is G. Renesia. He is the CEO of uh, Kexino, excuse me, uh, Marketing. And uh, he specializes in working with startups and small businesses, and he has uh, in this role for the past 14 years. But more than that, he is uh, a sage top 100 business influencers of 2017. And uh, a sage, that just sounds like something very, you know. uh, Mystical, right? (laughs) Yeah, something that I I think I want to know more about. He's also uh, one of the top digital marketing agencies in 2019. Uh, He is extensively... Uh, quoted in the media for his expertise. He's been in marketing for over 25 years. Uh, he's run full service agencies. His sci- his clients include Sony, Timberland, uh, Adobe, uh, UNESCO. I mean, this guy is the real deal. G, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Micah. I'm very pleased to be here. What a great intro. I don't know if I can live up to that. <laughs> well, you did it all. I just have to tell people about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Maybe maybe I need a marketer. What do you think? Yes, that's right. Um, so one of the things that the, the reasons I wanted to have you on the show was to talk about your approach to marketing. Um, but before we get into that, can you just tell us a little bit about your background? What I didn't go into some of war, some of what has shaped your view of marketing and uh, why you choose to to adopt the method you do, and kind of what made you become you. Well, I've been in marketing now for, like I said, 25 odd years, back in the days of dial-up modems and uh, AOL CDs. Remember those? I do. (laughs) I do. Yeah. 
I remember that everyone used to get those discs to their house, AOL disc. Right. And you used to get hundreds of them and you used to use them as drinks coasters, right? <laughs> like every, every other month they came to the house. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I'm not sure if we used, maybe we used them once, but I can't imagine the enormous expense um, that it, it costs AOL to, to, Crazy. to do that. Crazy times. Yeah. So um, back in those days, well, not quite back in those days, but that's where I started. And then uh, more recently, I was worldwide director of marketing for a software company mm. in Europe. Um, our clients were people like Time Inc., um, IKEA, Nestle, Airbus, Marvel Comics, people like that. Um, but every time, as as the marketing director, every time we got marketing agencies in to pitch for our business. I felt a disconnect because none of them would take any fiduciary responsibility for the marketing plans that they proposed. Mm. So if it all went wrong, they'd wash, wipe their hands and, and, and run away. They were more interested in the tactical side of things, you know, right. the web, you know, web design or ads or events or promotions or that sort of thing, right? Because, you know, social was just taking off at this time. It wasn't really very much social centric. Nobody was asking me about the business results on which the marketing plan needed to deliver. Right, which yeah. I thought was crazy. Um, so, you know, it dawned on me that, there, that I can't be the only person looking for this kind of agency, there must be a ton of startups and small businesses in particular, who were looking for help with marketing from a business perspective rather than tactical um you know designing and managing a marketing plan generating qualified leads and you know ultimately putting a plan together that actually made a commercial difference to the business um so um i gave up my cocooned existence in the corporate world with my expense accounts and company BMWs and international flights and all that sort of good stuff. Who needs that stuff anyway? Yeah, exactly. Who needs that stuff? Um, and we started Kexino in January, 2008, mm. 2008, which you will remember was not exactly the best time to start a business <laughs> of any kind, let alone a marketing agency. Well, um, but, um, you know, with, uh, with a with a, a bit of uh, crossed fingers and a following wind and some very very supportive clients in the early days you know we weathered the storm and we came out the other end and uh today we're um we're um 19 people in nine countries uh nine of us are in the us uh the rest are in europe south africa and i have two people in australia as well mm. um our clients are primarily in the us uh, probably 80, 80, 85% of our clients are in North, let's say North America rather than the U S right. Um, don't upset those guys north of the border. <laughs> and, uh, although they won't yell at you, they'll just be very polite in the, they'll be very polite, mildly be irritated away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, pr primarily North America, a little bit in Europe. Otherwise the rest is 
um, Southeast Asia, China, Japan, South Korea, doing a lot of stuff with those guys, mm. um, primarily in the tech space, as you can imagine. Right. Um, and, and that's us. You know, something that you said earlier about why or one of the uh, predicates to you jumping from your, your corporate comforts to starting your own thing was about, th- about marketing firms not taking fiduciary um, you know, responsibility in their marketing. Do you consider that to be an ethical issue? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think in, anything other than that is a bait and switch game, really. I mean, mm. why why do we do this, right? Why why does any business invest in marketing to move the needle to generate sales, right? right. If it doesn't generate sales, it's not marketing. It's mm. fluff. It's ego. It's just nonsense, right? Mm. So if there isn't something that um, can be put together, which actually makes a tangible, quantifiable difference to the business bottom line, um, that is marketing. Anything else, if it doesn't make a difference, long or short term, then you're just wasting your money. And there are plenty of agencies out there of all sizes, um, from you know one-man bands to fairly decent-sized agencies, who will just jump straight into the tactical execution, right? They don't even want to know about the business concerns, uh, the market dynamics, um, the customer backgrounds, the um, trading environment, you know, they just want to get straight into, I don't know, doing a new website or spending money on Facebook ads or doing whatever. And they won't actually look and take the time to understand what makes sense for that business, what makes sense for both existing and prospective customers of that business you know Uh, and they've got they've got a set of tools Mm. a finite set of tools and they're they're trying to fit things in the wrong way around right so they've they've got these tools and they're trying to have have you heard of Maslow's hammer the um, law of the instrument You, you you may know it as um if 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 all you've got is a hammer everything looks like a nail Yes, that's right. I right. have. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, or, or if, essentially the theory that, um, you know, the, the, the hammer is, uh, is searching for a nail to hit or basically. Right. right. Exactly. Because that's all you've got. Right? right. If, which is one of the reasons why we had to become a full, a full service agency rather than specializing in, um, in branding or design or SEO or CRO mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever else, because, um, if if you break these things down into the component parts, they don't actually work. You, right. you, you can't separate marketing disciplines across multiple providers, especially if you're a smaller business, because you don't have the wherewithal or the experience or the um, presence to be able to um, hold the, all of those sorts of things together. So this this is the reason why it has to be all of this stuff has to be driven from in the 
Detroit. Sorry for the a little bit of the, the bumpy, uh, the bumpy video here, but um, uh, G, you were just talking about how um, marketing firms need to explore this uh, comprehensive, uh, comprehensive service offering um, in order to fully satisfy uh, a business's needs or a, customer, a client's needs. If you can continue on that. Right. Yeah. So Mavzlov's hammer, right? Hammers yeah. and nails. Hammers looking for nails. Okay. Right. If all you do is web design, yeah. then somebody comes to you looking for a marketing solution, you're going to turn the conversation around to web design. Right. Right. Because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Right. But that, but web design may not be the most pressing need for that client at that particular time. Right. It may be something else. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem when you specialize in something where the recipe list mm -hmm. for what may work for that client is at the beginning unknown right at the beginning you have to you have to do your research you have to do your homework and and work out what that what that recipe list looks like what that checklist looks like right and then craft together a uh, a marketing plan accordingly right you know <clears throat> this i have a lot to say about this actually but the first i want to start with uh <laughs> Michael Gerber's quote about uh, this is this is really the genius of the e-myth isn't it where he talked about how the fatal assumption in business is that because you can do the technical work you think that you can be a business owner and I think that this specifically he was referring to the fact that you think you can go on your own and run a business <clears throat> however it, it does apply in what you're talking about in the sense that you may have been a web designer as a part of an overall marketing company at a firm and you did excellent things. And so you go out on your own because you feel like you want to be your own boss, which by the way, is a terrible reason to go out on your own. Um, but there has to be more than that, but really there needs to be a legitimate business reason that's recognized why there's a new website even built. Um, there should also be a legitimate business reason why the website looks, feels, or interacts how it does. And you need to be able to interpret what happens after the, after the intent on the website is satisfied. But in order to do that, you need to have some business strategy with that. It, it's not just about the web design or building the website. So I agree completely with what you're saying. And I think that this is, the, uh, this is part of the reason why a lot of smaller independents have a hard time actually generating the revenue that they want to generate mainly because the people who are looking for web design don't even understand until they have maybe a conversation with a consultant or a business coach that a website design is just part of their issue and not their whole issue. Um, and the person can only satisfy that job. And so they may be looking for or overlooking these firms that only do that one thing. And, you know, it's, I think that the, the website design is great, but being a firm that only that only has the ability to do website design, it's like a super niche versus just a niche, right? Um, in my opinion, um, it's you. You're not going to be able to generate enough money, so it's like okay, you're a surgeon who does brain surgery only on children who have a special condition, right? That's and a left-handed, like left handed. <laughs> like, left -handed. <laughs> So that's a, that's a super niche. And by the way, there's only 26,000 of these kids in the world. You know, 
I, I, I agree with you up to, up, up to a point. Uh, I, I'd sort of come, come back and unpack a couple of things with that. Firstly, hmm. um, you know, the, the, the problem, I don't know if you can call it a problem, um, with uh, the way the world is today is that we all have the tools, the wherewithal, the connections, you know, we were, you know, we were talking about interconnect, internet connections just now, right? We, we, we have the capabilities to build and run a business, right? Cheaply, or say cost effectively, mm -hmm. and, and f easier and faster than ever before in, in human times, right? And that's a good thing, but it's also an extremely bad thing. Because there are people who start businesses who should be kept well away from a penal uh, uh, statement right. who should be kept well away from a balance sheet because they haven't got a clue right. and I think unless you can understand business you can't understand marketing I think unless you've been in sales at some point in time I don't think you can understand marketing but mm -hmm. that's that's another <laughs> that's another thing to unpack right but also I think what's what's key is what you mentioned is that if you're being approached if since we're talking about web design here, if you're a web design agency and you're approached by a client saying, hello, I would like a new web site. Mm. The first question shouldn't be, what's your budget? Right. <laughs> when do you need it delivered? It should be, why do you need a website? Correct. Right. What um, itch do you need to scratch, which is not being fulfilled by the website that you have today? Right. Okay. And they'll say, Oh, yes, well, it's, you know, it's not converting or, um, you know, um, we're not getting any leads from it or, well, same thing, right? Or, or, or mm -hmm. whatever. And then what will inevitably happen nine times out of 10 is that the client will get a brand new spanking new website, which looks fantastic and has got, you know, all of these things flying around and it's all looking great, wonderful, but it still doesn't convert. Correct. Right. So yep. they spent a ton of money, which they probably would rather use on something else mm -hmm. and are still in the same position. Why? Because their existing website was probably okay. I mean, okay, sure. Any website can be a bit better. Right. Right. Um, but it was probably okay. But the reason why it didn't work is because nobody's looking at the copy. Mm -hmm. Right. No one's yep. spending any time on copywriting, any times on on um, looking at visitors through funnels, um, doing any research on landing pages and um, actually looking to convert the customer through a series of pages, mm -hmm. right? Inevitably, the copy on the website is something that's been thrown around in a Google Doc going from one person to another person over the last few years. Maybe it's been used in a previous version of the website. Maybe it's in the um, in the company brochure. Mm -hmm. Nobody gives gives it very much of a thought. You know, there's there's no meat in the sandwich. So all you're going to do is give them, you know, a, a better a better looking sandwich, but there's still nothing inside. Mm -hmm. Um. And especially smaller agencies are reluctant to ask these questions because they're just grateful for the business or the potential business. Right? Or, sc or scared so, that they're going to lose the business. Sure, sure. But do you, do you want that kind of business? Do you want just to do pretty pictures that don't convert? 
I mean, if it doesn't convert, it's not marketing, it's art, right? right? I mean, it's, right. put it put it in a gallery or something because it doesn't have a there's 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 no commercial result due at the at the at the end game of the of the website, right? That, that's, so what, you know, what's the point of it? It's, that's totally correct, and and this has really been one of my pet peeves for a long time, which is that nobody stops and asks why, because why is a lot of answering that question why is a lot of work, and um, when you ask why, you're often going to get the answer. <clears throat> well, it's because this is what I was told by this person or what I observed from that person or what I think is supposed to happen. There's often no real contextual reason that's actually um, logical while, why, a web, why a person wants to redesign their website or as an example or engage in some specific form of marketing. It's almost often always because a person had read something that someone wrote they haven't tested it out scientifically in their own business. There's no empirical well, they data. To, they listen to a podcast. They listen to a podcast <laughs> like this, two knuckleheads like us. Um, yeah. And and they say they say to themselves, "Oh, well, this seemed like this worked in my arena here, or this million, this three million dollar, you know, um, graphic design firm did this. So obviously, this this particular procedure works. But just because you're a graphic design firm here doesn't mean that your firm is the same as a firm that does graphic design there. And, and like, there are a million reasons why, and, and, you know, we can always talk about that, but why do you think that, Oh, I guess we talked about it, that these firms don't ask why, because they don't really want to dig into the stuff that actually takes time to do. Is it, do you think it's because they haven't structured their business in a way to address getting, getting paid or, or, even like putting themselves in positions to, to understand this piece, does it all come down to you to the business sense and the, and the ability you could, you to understand have, business functions? You could have cut that sentence way, way earlier, Micah. They haven't structured their business, period. Mm. Right? There is no structure. Right. Yes, there, there's, there's, the, there's the fear of losing the client by asking too many questions. Mm -hmm. But also, you have to, I think you also have to look at it from the client's perspective. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why is a client suggesting to you that they need a website? Right. Okay. Since, you know, is, is, is the client an experienced marketing person? Mm. Probably not. Right. So they have self-diagnosed the problem. They think they think the problem is a new website. Right. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Just, you know, many times we will get inquiries from businesses of all sizes mm -hmm. and saying okay can you tell me I, I i need a price for a website and a this and a that and they go through it's like a shopping list right right it's bang 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 yep and, and my question is yeah how, how have you determined that this list of items is the list of items which is going to actually make a a tangible difference to your business <laughs> why do yeah, you think right. Right? Why do you think that these yeah. things are going to be right? Right? Now, and there's there's many reasons for this, but this whole self-diagnosis side of things from a client side of things is um, very unhealthy. If if I if I go to the doctor, okay, mm -hmm. complaining of chest pains, mm -hmm. okay, I don't say to the doctor, "Look, I've got chest pains. Can you give me um, some?" angina medication right 
the doctor's going to say, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. Who's to say you've got angina? Right. right? The doctor's going to examine me. He's going to ask me about my history. He's going to say, you know, how many bacon sandwiches have you had in the last, you know, six months? And all, all of this sort of stuff. He's going to ask me all of these questions. Right. And then he's going to make a diagnosis. And now mm-hmm. the diagnosis may, may well be angina. Mm-hmm. But it could also be that I, you know, I had a really spicy meal last night and I've got gas. Right. Right. You know, it's like if I if I go to a mechanic and I say I need a new transmission, well, actually, all I need is a new oil is, a, is an oil change. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not up to me to tell the person who makes a living doing this what they should be doing for me. Right. That should be part of their services. Mm-hmm. That you should be going to them and saying, look, this is my business. This is how it works. These are where we get our customers today. Mm-hmm. These are how, how's how well we convert those customers. Um, this is the after sales. This is the internal business processes. This is all the rats to it. Okay. We're looking to get from here to here within this amount of time. Um, we've got a budget of X. What can you do? That's something that you want to start to work with. Right. You come at it from a business perspective. And there is, you know, there's discovery to do. You know, you have to you have to find out more about the industry, you know, the market space the business occupies, the customer profile, the buyer behaviors, all of this sort of stuff before you can put something together which is, you know, can hold water. There there's a theory that Clayton Christensen from Harvard Business School wrote a white paper about with three other professors there at Harvard Business School. Um, and I, I recorded two podcasts on this. And, and the title of the white paper was Marketing Malpractice. And what it talked about was the job that needs to be done. And now maybe you've heard about this before or read or watched it. But essentially what it says is that customers don't, don't uh, go out and seek a product or a service because they are looking specifically for that product or service. They go out and seek products or services because they have a job that they're trying to hire um, a business to do. And they have a problem that they need to go away. Right. right. They have a that problem. That's the only reason solved. why people buy anything. <clears throat> That's it. So I've got a problem. I need to throw some money at it to get the problem to go away. That's right. That's and it. so they, they have a 10 inch hole that they need to put into a wall or a desk or something. What, who can, what, or who can I hire to put that 10 inch hole in my, in my desk? And so that's why having a different perspective about how we market and what our business actually is, I think is a critical piece that a lot of business owners um, and even marketers to your point, don't really understand. They don't understand the job that needs to be done. And because they don't understand the job that they need to be done, they don't understand why people will hire their product or service um, or what they people hire their product or service to solve or to do. Right. And, and it's, it's more than just as you, as we stipulated with this, you know, kind of hypothetical uh, web design firm, it's more than just a website. And so I'm assuming that it's this rationale that brought you to your conclusion that you needed to be a full service firm and ultimately ultimately address um, the issues of, basically solving issues of, of the business of the day um, or of the next five years. Um, and so 
you talked about buying emotionally and post-rationalizing um, your purchase after you bought emotionally. Um, so you analyze your purchase logically, but you buy emotionally. So tell me, how do you address, um, how do you address this, this gap in how people address their marketing program for their company? Given that we, although we buy emotionally, buyer's remorse, which a lot of people are having right now in various arenas, um, are, are things that, uh, are things that you want to kind of prevent because actually it's, I think it's worse on your business to have the buyer's remorse than to act, than to have bought or, or pay for a service. And then you're like, I'm so glad that I had this, right? Because it actually did solve my problem. And it just happened to solve my problem because I didn't really understand the job to, to be done either. Right. So how do you help people to under businesses to understand what their job is and to prevent this gap in, um, in buying? I it's actually think, I should say. Okay. Um, contentious statement here, Micah, perhaps. I think buyer's remorse is a failure of the business to adequately market their product. Interesting. Okay. And let me tell you for why. You, okay. can, send, you can send hate mail to G at... No, sorry, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm getting off hate mail. I don't need any more. <laughs> um, so, firstly... Mm -hmm. Decisions, even the thing, the decisions, decisions that we think we're taking rationally, we're taking emotionally. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's the same whether you're talking B two B or B two C. It doesn't make any difference, mm -hmm. other than in B two B you have um, usually more than one decision maker in the process. But otherwise, it's the same thing. You're talking human to human. It's it's the same thing. Right. But it's still an emotional purchase, an emotional decision, even if we post rationalize it. Um, let me give you an example. Hmm. Um, I've got a thing about shoes. Okay. I'll hold my hand up. Okay. <laughs> I'll, if, I don't know if there's a shoe buyers anonymous, but if there is, I should join. Right. Um, I like a good pair of shoes. Okay. So imagine I'm walking past a store and I'm looking in the shoe store and I see an absolute knock em dead pair of shoes. Hmm. Okay. But I've got sticker shock. The price is like, hang on, is that the price or the serial number? I mean, what's going on here, right? Some <laughs> crazy price. Okay. So I'll go in and I'll try them on and I'll be seduced by the branding and the atmosphere and the way they take care of you in the store or whatever else. I'll take these shoes home. Okay. And <clears throat> this is, as you point out, where the buyer's remorse can set in, right? I get home and I think, Oh my goodness, what have I done? I've spent a gazillion on these pair of shoes. What am I doing? And then you post rationalize to yourself. You say, yeah, but sure. But you know, look at the style, look at the shape of the shoe. You know, it's classic. It's so well made. This thing is going to last so much longer than, you know, cheaper pair of shoes. So actually, um, I've actually saved money because I don't have to buy three pairs of cheaper shoes for the one pair of shoes that I'm getting now. They're going to be so comfortable. They're going to go with so many things that I wear. And you do this, you, 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 you convince yourself in your head, all right? If it works, you keep the shoes. If it doesn't, you, you take them back, right? So this presentation as marketers that we're putting together 
um, for the articulation of value of the product or service that we're selling isn't just to entice the buyer to to make that purchase, but is carries on after that purchase, not just from the buyer's remorse side of things, but hopefully to the point of turning that customer into more than just a customer, more than just a repeat customer, but a true advocate of the brand that we're creating. You with me? I am. So this prompts a question then. Do you think if we were to do a large scale study that we would find less buyer's remorse with legacy products and services than we would with, um, you know, like impulse buys uh, or, or newer brands on the marketplace? I don't think we can be, be, be so severe in the, in the dissection between the, the two categories. It very much depends on how much true branding work has been done by the, by the company concerned. And by I say true branding work, I don't mean this nonsense, you know, somebody stopping a uh, demonstration to give the police officer a Pepsi. I don't mean <laughs> right, nonsense yeah. like that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, real proper brand building, um, e you know, even to the point of brand purpose, right? I mean, there are plenty of um, less well-known brands that stand for something that have some kind of cause that potential buyers can aspire to and have affinity with, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, one of the most obvious ones that springs to mind is Patagonia, for example, mm -hmm. right? They have very clear stance on particular issues yep. and they're not for everyone. And the sure. pricing is reflecting the, uh, the stance that they have. Mm -hmm. um, but you're buying into, you know, as Seth Godin would call them, you're buying into their tribe, right? You're buying into this clique of people who think the same or for people who aspire to think in that, in that direction. Right. And so um, you don't think that the, the legacy part of the brand has as much of an impact on how people view the value of their product versus, you know, assuming a, the legacy, the, the more legacy a product or service is, Theoretically, there should be more marketplace value in the sense of comfort and stability, traditionality, things like that, one would assume. You think that that do you think that's more wrapped up with how the brand publicly presents its its public messaging versus how long and trusted this brand has been in the marketplace? I think longevity plays a part. Of course it does, and especially for consumer goods. Okay. Right. You know, you know, for somebody like Coca-Cola, right? It's hard to imagine something that that company could do that um, immediately afterwards, or certainly within a few weeks, would bounce back the sales that they've lost from that particular event. Right. Okay. Because they're too big and they've invested too much in the brand building and sales activation mix for it to have any long-term detrimental effect okay mm -hmm. the the trick is to have a mix okay so you long-term brand building 
and sales activation. So sales activation, if we think about, you know, the, the, the types of ads that we see on, um, on social media at the moment, you know, buy one, get one free, put this code in offer expires tomorrow, um, buy this set of saucepans, kitchen knives, um, whatever. Okay. That can work, but obviously you, you're, you're on a, um, you've, you've got, uh, the law of diminishing returns in that because you've, you're, once you've got a, a target audience selected, you're cannibalizing that target audience each time and marketing to a smaller and smaller group. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a, an awareness of your brand in the first place, the first question is, well, who are, who are these guys? Can I trust them? And all the usual sorts of doubts that come into the buyer's mind. Right. On the other side, you've got the brand building stuff, mm-hmm. which isn't a sales activation thing. There's no call to action in the same way. But over time, by uh, exposing the brand to uh, exposure from the group as a whole, not targeted the group as a whole if you if you imagine if you imagine the sales activation graph right you'd say okay i'm spending spending some money on sales activation mm-hmm. sales go up yeah. and as soon as i turn the, the the money off sales go down right? right so it goes up like that it's like a sawtooth i suppose okay right what happens is when in the background you have brand building going on at the same time right. over time each time you spend money on sales activation and the graph goes up, when it comes down, it doesn't come down as far down as it did before. Right. Okay. There's the, it, it, there's a little bit of a, of a gap. Mm. So over time, the effectiveness of that sales activation process goes up because people are more, uh, they've been exposed to the brand indirectly, not from a sales activation perspective. Right. So there has to be a mix between the two. What, happens especially with the small companies or even startups because they have revenue uh drivers they put all of their eggs in one basket and go hell for leather on the sales activation side uh, and then all they're doing is repeating that process week by week month by month year by year um and getting smaller and smaller results over time Right. Because every time it comes back down to that zero position, right. there's no longer term growth in the effectiveness of that sales activation side of things. Is that the value play then in the marketplace? Is that yeah? That, you could you could is say that how so, you close, yeah. close the gap essentially. Essentially, yeah. I think you can you can you can call it that. Once once people are aware of the of you as the brand and how, the problem that you fix and how you fix it, whatever problem product or service you're selling, mm-hmm. uh, there's that that general um, sphere of awareness is already present. Yeah. Well, and this is and this is the issue that companies run into with pricing, which is that let's let's use your illustration about the sales activation and then how it drops. Well, their first thought is that the reason why it drops is because people are no longer interested in the price. They they misassume or misunderstand that drop as perhaps being that my pricing is wrong in the marketplace versus I haven't established my value in the marketplace in order to get people to know, like, and trust me so that they come back again and they want to re-engage with my product or service. So why do you think 
that small businesses, fledgling entrepreneurs, or even um, mid-sized companies get pricing so wrong. And even big companies, frankly, um, there's plenty of products that we can talk about that were fantastic failures uh, from companies because they got pricing wrong. Um, why is there, there always this gap in how the company sees how the pricing should play and what the public actually views um, the, where this product or service should be? There's, there's two answers to that. Firstly, if you're not selling because of price, it's probably a marketing problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if the perception is that the price is too high, then you have failed at your marketing. You have not given the potential buyer the value communication to articulate the value, the differentiation, the distinctiveness of the product or service to the point where they see the value because you've got price and you've got value, right? Correct. That, that's, that's the seesaw, right? Mm-hmm. So price is what you set, right? right? The value is in the customer's mind. That's right, right? all perception. So, so if you're trying to sell me a widget for X amount of money and I don't think it's worth it, you have failed in articulating your value. I think especially with smaller businesses, entrepreneurs, but this is endemic within the sales industry as well, Micah, okay? Mm-hmm. People, because they know how much something costs and because they're too often working on the assumption of a cost plus X percent to come to the retail price mm-hmm. of whatever they're selling, they're instantly discounting even before they've even finished articulating what the actual product or service does, okay? Right. They're begging for the sale. They're not selling, actually. They're they're taking orders. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, you go to you go to a, a fast food restaurant. And you order a a burger, fries, and a milkshake, right? The person who's who's taking your order at the till, they're not a salesperson, are they? Right? They're an order taker. Right. Right. So there's 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 no selling involved, right? Do, do the, new businesses... the selling has been done upstream, if you do, like. Do new businesses have to get to value? Fa- before they get to price. And let me just explain that yes. question because they don't have the margin at the beginning, oftentimes, because they're, they're so far downstream in the supply chain that their margins are just going to be, they're not they're going to be out of whack until they get a real cost basis for creating a product. Right. So until they get real scalability with manufacturing or they get further upstream on the supply chain and they can put together raw materials themselves and make things cheaper, their margins are just going to be ridiculous. So are we doing the wrong thing in the wrong order? Because this is not what is being taught, right? You go to a marketing firm now, you have to spend the money now and focus on, um, you know, pay-per-click or focus on doing this. And then there's a deep, not a deep emphasis, but just no emphasis really on creating value of about what you do and the perception of what you do in the marketplace of your product or service be like early, super early in to, to what you're offering to your public offering so that people can actually get there with you. And they're willing to pay the price because of their perception for now. And then they'll be pleasantly surprised if it drops because your margins increase or for your service, you can bring you, you can typically drive your margins down a little bit more, but like, uh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to just kind of throw that out there. Do you think that we're, we're getting to the value 
too late in businesses? Definitely. Uh, I think also people are looking at the pricing equation and automatically assuming that they're too high when maybe they're to be too low. Right. Expectations go both ways. That's right. A hundred percent. And it's, it's not a given. The thing is, salespeople don't realize that. They see, okay, the product costs $100. We make it for $40. That means I can knock off 10 bucks of the end price. And because I feel bad about the retained margin within that, for example. Right, yeah. But in terms of buying perspective, absolutely. Because otherwise you're a commodity. And unless you can convey and adequately articulate the value of your product or service, you're just another widget seller. Right. right and then what happens if 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 there's no differentiation there's no distinctiveness there's no reason why i should buy your widget as opposed to somebody else's then it comes down to a question of price right right and so then you're on a downward spiral right because i don't care what you do i don't care what you sell right there is always somebody somewhere who will sell it for less right yeah that's right just go and to you, Ali- you know, you, Go to Alibaba. You, you don't want to, that's a race that you don't want to win, right? <laughs> no, no, the race, they, what they call it, the race to the bottom. Um, I, yes. I once heard someone say, you can't be the cheapest and the best at the same time. It's like, if you're claiming in the marketplace that you're the best, hands down, the absolute best. If I say to you, the best heart surgeon, the best neurosurgeon, um, if I say to you, the best pilot, the best engineer, the best firm, and you went to them and they say, well, we charge $11.75 an hour like your perception of the value of the best and what they're charging if if that is so drastically different you are committing um you know business suicide right there why does a ferrari cost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars? right if you right. if you if you took a ferrari i'm not singling out a ferrari okay pick the dream sports car that you prefer <laughs> okay if you take the whole thing apart right. And you add up the cost of each nut and bolt and thing, it doesn't add up to $150,000, does it? No. It doesn't come anywhere close. Close, yeah. Right. Okay. So the difference between the cost and what you've paid is the dream mm-hmm. that you've been sold. That's right. Right? Yep. Um, and that's the differentiation. That is the distinctiveness from the reasons why people buy a Ferrari versus a Porsche versus a Lamborghini versus a mm-hmm. whatever else. Okay. And, and and it's the same for anything uh, for anything else. But to put your point about being the best, okay. Anybody who says that they're, be- they're the best, they're not the best. If right, you have to exactly. say that you're the best, you're not the best. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. That's what other people say about you. You don't say that about yourself. You know, I've all, I've often wondered if the shame that people some people feel, because because maybe it's not public shame. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. But let's just call it what it is. People, when people go to McDonald's, right? McDonald's has never claimed to be a health food chain, ever. Um, but you know, there's this, you know, there's the comedians make jokes about them, specifically uh, Jim Gaffigan about McDonald's, and then the shame of eating there, and all, and all this other stuff, right? It's funny to me that because McDonald's is so low priced, in, in theory, a lower price compared to other places that you can eat. I wonder if the, the, the value of the price of the meal is part of the shame people feel in eating it because it's cheap, because it's fast. 
I wonder if it not just because not just what they're eating, right? Because you can go to a place to get a burger and a fry and nobody condemns you for eating the burger and fry at a different place other than McDonald's. Absolutely. Is it because of the price of the meal and how fast you get it? That the perception of people of mine is that it's cheap. And because it's cheap, it's lower status because it's lower status. You should feel guilty if you're eating it. I think it's also the ubiquity. You know, mm-hmm. you go to any major or minor conurbation anywhere on planet Earth, mm-hmm. you will come across a McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, you can you can say the same thing about Starbucks or you know a, a number of other types of establishments right. as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it's the ubiquity. But also, I think McDonald's has done a fantastic branding job in terms of consistency. Mm-hmm. Because if you're stuck somewhere, you know that the, the, the brand of McDonald's, rather than some unknown um, burger joint dive that you've never heard of that seems to be around the corner and the only one that's open at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, when you need to have something. The the brand promise that, that McDonald's is offering is you, you're going to have something that you know the taste of. Mm-hmm wherever in the world that you are mm-hmm. okay you know that coffee is going to come in a certain sized cup it's going to be piping hot nuclear hot right yeah. and it's going to taste at a certain threshold level you know that the bathrooms are going well are going to be <laughs> moderately clean <laughs> moderately clean depending right. on what time the yeah, last signature right. was on the back right. of the door okay so the expectation level has been set. Mm. Okay. So I think that's a very powerful thing. And this is this is really what branding is all about. Branding is all about an insurance about buying sucky products. Right. Okay. Sucky is a technical term there, Micro, just to let you know. <laughs> okay. Right. So to give an example. Supposing I was in the market, I mean, um, we've got Black Friday coming up, right? So maybe I'm in the sure. market for a new TV. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm looking at all the specs of the TVs and the resolution and the uh, color space and the, all the illuminations and all this other stuff. And I've worked out my purchase is down to two, two TVs. Mm-hmm. Say one of the one of them is a well-known brand of TV, say Samsung, for example, okay? And the other brand of TV is some unknown brand that I've never heard of. Right. Okay? This is where branding comes in. By buying a Samsung TV or LG or all the other wonderful TV manufacturers that we know and love, right? But by buying a branded product, I know that the experience that I will have with that product will be somewhere between, mm, yeah, that's not bad, to, right. oh my God, this is absolutely friggin' awesome. Mm, right. right? If I buy the other TV, even if the specs of the, of, of the products are even wider, yes, I might get a, oh my God, this is an absolutely fantastic piece of kit, or it might be, oh my God, what an absolute piece of crap. Right. Right? right. So that variation, that variance is removed or is reduced, I should say. Right. And to take it further, there's there's also the issue of 
um, of of the peer review. Okay, so supposing it's one year, one year and one day later. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the warranty of the TV has expired. Right, and it's blown up. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm on the phone. I'm on, you and I are having a chat. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mike, I had a real problem. You know that you know that TV I bought last year? It exploded, died. Mm. Oh my God, gee, what happened? You know, I feel really sorry for you. And you know, if I bought the Samsung one, you'd say, Oh, wow, that that's that's really out of order. You you, you did everything right. I poor you. It's you you've you've made a you've been a victim here, right? What can they do? This is disgusting from Samsung to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, if I'd bought the unknown brand. You'd say, well, see, if you're going to buy this unknown piece of crap, it's going to happen, isn't it? Right. So I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm to blame. Correct. Again, so this is the brand reducing the variance so that the customer experience uh, viability of suckiness is removed from the equation. Yeah. And that's- I want to I wanna have suckiness as a word that exists in the lexicon. It is, That's my goal. <laughs> you're submitting. You're submitting it into the record, and the court accepts. Um, Thank you. So no, but I think I think that your point about this was a good conversation around value because often the question that I get in my business coaching and when I'm speaking to entrepreneurs or small business owners is, where do I start with value, and how do I establish value, and then. I often give people the same answer. Why do people currently buy from you? Do you understand why they buy from you? It really the answer to the really the 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 method to answering these questions in business is to actually ask more questions. Why do you why do you buy from me? Why have you bought from me more than once? Would you refer me out to somebody else? If the answer you know is what? You know no, what a really good question is what's that? Really good question is you know when we do this discovery stuff with any onboarding any new client, we go through this right. discovery process, right? Mm-hmm. One question that we always ask when we speak to customers that they're sort of slightly taken aback about, but can often uh, reveal a lot of intel about the mindset of the customer. The question is. What nearly stopped you from buying? Mm-hmm. What nearly, what nearly lost us the sale? Right. Yes, and they don't ask these questions because they, they want shields, right? Mm-hmm. They want people's. Oh, they were great. You know, the, the 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 person on the end of the phone was 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 light and bubbly, and we had a great time. And the, you know, um, the the product was available in blue and pink, and I wanted those colors, or it was available in these sizes, and that was very important, or you know, what, what, whatever that sort of stuff is. Great, wonderful. Right. You know, it you you can get some intel from all of that. Yes, but you know, you're 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 not. In an on an island, right? There there are other competitors existing right. in your space, right? And if you look at it pragmatically and objectively, there are there are people who buy from the competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sorry right. to tell you, Mister Business Owner, but yeah. there are people who do not buy from you. That's right, and are happy about not buying from you. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because it's like 
the question I get silence on oftentimes when I'm doing my initial business coaching discovery too is, well, what makes you special? And then I get a list of, I, then I get a list of um, features that they, that they offer. It's like, well, that doesn't make you special. Okay. Like it's table stakes. Yeah. Table stakes. Everybody offers that, you know, oh, we've got great customer service. Well, so was everybody. They all, they all purport to offer great customer service. Nobody right. sets out to say, you know what, we're going to be different by offering absolutely crap customer service. No one does that. They all <laughs> right. think yeah. they're trying to do the best they can. Everybody. Why do people in your mind have a hard time answering the purpose question? Like, like what purpose do you serve in the marketplace? Because there's a number, there's a number of different reasons, but I think one of them is by defining who you are, you're automatically defining who you're not. Hmm. And people are scared to alienate a proportion of their customer base, even if those people are not right for the product or service that's being sold. Right. This is, this is one of the immutable laws of marketing right there. <laughs> one of the 22 immutable laws of marketing, right? Al Reese, Jack Trout and their book, what they write is that basically they write, you can't win every war, right? Like you can't have, um, you can, you can re-enter a demographic at a later time after you've established yourself. It's the exact thing that Pepsi did. Coke was around and it was established. People drank it. Then they had the older generation on lockdown. Pepsi came in, they hired the Michael Jackson commercials. They brought in all these young, you know, superstars at the time to really bolster like a younger generation drinking cola. And they killed that market. And then they started bringing in celebrities that were older talking about drinking Pepsi later. And then they were able to backdoor a part of Coca-Cola's market that they had on Coke. So it's not just about Warren Buffett, who's a stakeholder in Coca-Cola drinking his Coca-Cola. It's everyone in his generation drank Coca-Cola. And so Pepsi knew automatically that they weren't going to come in and just displace, you know, Coke as the cola of choice. And so they went after a younger target market and they did it successfully. And, and that's where they spent their money and, and turned their attention. And they understood their purpose in, in the market. Their purpose was to engage a younger generation who didn't feel connected to Pepsi, to, to Coca-Cola because they weren't born in that generation with their product. I mean, it was a interesting, it's an interesting idea. I'm not sure I would have gone in the cola, in the cola market, um, but they did successfully. And there's been competitors that have come and gone in the cola market. They don't last long, but, but those two mainstays, because they, they chose their, they chose their position and they were willing. It, the law was called the law of sacrifice. Okay. It was, it was uh, you're sacrificing one demographic essentially to focus on your, your, your main uh, primary demographic that can engage in that wants your service. And, and you could, it doesn't mean that you can't come back to it later, but you're sacrificing one piece of the pie essentially for, for one that actually will become your bread and butter. I think it's very rare and, um, and maybe elusive where um, a player has come into the market and attacked the incumbent head on mm -hmm. using the same uh, value proposition as the incumbent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's never going to work, right? Yeah. Agreed. You know, it doesn't matter how deep my pockets. Supposing I'm the world's first trillionaire, mm -hmm. okay, and I want to start a cola company, 
I'm never going to use Zerp Coke. Never going to happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, you, now, if if you were doing an alternative cola drink mm-hmm. um, with um, sustainable sourced ingredients or uh, naturally aspirated or, you know, some kind of differentiation like that, yeah, then you've got a chance. Then you've got an That's opportunity, right? right? But trying to out Coke Coke, whoo, that's not a war I want to play. No. Whoo, no way. No, it's not. Gee, we've been talking for uh, for an hour, so we're bumping up against time. And, I, you know, it's very rare that, you know, I get to engage with someone who, you know, we can kind of really dive deep into these things. But I want to have you back on the show because there's a lot of other things that we didn't get to touch on that I would like to. Um, so if you're willing to come back on. I'd love to have you back my on. My pleasure. Love to. Um, but uh, where can our audience uh, find you um, or, your, or your company, uh, Kexino, and, uh, and reach out if they're interested in engaging you? Uh, from the agency, Kexino is uh, K-E-X-I-N-O. So that's Kexino.com. If you want to get a hold of me, um, probably the easiest way is LinkedIn. I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever else. I mean, if you want, you can... You can mail me. My name is G Ranasina. If you mail me G at ranasina.com, you'll get hold of me. Um, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the easiest and best. I, I try to be, I try to be active on LinkedIn at least a couple of times a week. Right. I don't often uh, uh, attain to that, but you know that's that's the goal. You have to put a goal right before that's you can, before you can say anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and let's have a chat, right? It doesn't have to result in anything. If I can help, if I can be a soundboard, offer advice, make recommendations, that's what it's all about, right? Because, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a small business myself. So, yeah. you know, we've got to watch each other's backs. Yeah, that, that's that's really it. And kind of what we learned from the pandemic, which is that having these engagements and, you know, they, they work out. And so, um, so G, your advice has been spot on. I, I like, I think you're, ability to critically think through a such scenario is, is obviously is filters to what you do in your firm. And if you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this, I'm going to tell you that the things that G said today are exceedingly rare in marketing firms. There's not this level of detail paid to really a holistic approach to your business. Now, there are people out there who say it, but you have to be, there has to be a, a business a strategic business component to a marketing firm. And if there's not, then even if you have a strategy to deploy, it's going to probably increase leads. But then after you get the leads, what happens, right? So like there's, there needs to be bridges, there needs to be connections made. Um, and as a business owner, you need to fundamentally understand how your whole um, ecosystem works um, to, to really solidify your business. Otherwise you're just kind of, you have a job and you don't really have a business. So G, thank you for coming on today. Appreciate your time and um, can't wait to have you back because there are, there are a bunch of things that we need to, I would like to nail down on value more. And I want to talk about how um, small business owners can really uh, focus on scaling their business. So we've kind of talked about a lot of the beginning stages of marketing and positioning today, but when you come back, I'd like to talk about scaling. We'd love to. Thanks for the thanks for the kind words, Michael. I do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'd love to come back. Yeah, awesome. You're the best. Awesome. All right, folks. So uh, remember that uh, uh, according to G, you need to start with value. You know, don't worry so much about um, 
how you're priced. Worry about is your business going to be generating the value in the marketplace that will get people to want to become fans of yours and not just customers because fans continue to buy customers could be one and done. That's part of what I got out of the conversation today. Um, but there's a, so much more that we talked about. So remember, use your common sense in your business and your business will grow. But for now, we're out of here. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the common sense show hosted by Michael Logan. The producer for The Common Sense Show is Paul Logan. To reach out to Micah and The Common Sense Show, talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search The Common Sense Show. And if you enjoy the show, please don't forget to rate and or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you for listening.